whole world is trying to understand love. In every generation, our books, our movies, our songs, and even our peers try to shape our opinions with competing and often contradicting ideals. Left in their shadows are confused and misguided people who are desperately searching for more. More truth, more reality, more power. The Church of Jesus Christ offers a distinct definition, the alternative to the alternatives, the truth over the lies, the one who is love himself, God. Love is ours because we are his. Once saved by his unconditional love, he then empowers us to live it out in gospel-centered relationships. So here we are and here we stand, the people of God, reclaiming love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you that we come to your word now. We look to your love. God, you are the source of love. Lord, I just ask now that as we study your word that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would soften hearts to receive this good word. And Lord, as we have such a great need to reclaim love in our culture, Father, may we Understanding it begins with the redemptive love. It begins with your love for us to have a true understanding of love. So, Lord, we ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're continuing on with our Reclaiming Love series. And last week we started with the inter-Trinitarian uh, uh, love that God has between God the Father and, and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, how they share this love all together and how they loved one another. God loved himself before the creation of the world. So love goes way back into eternity forever and ever. So that's where it begins. And then today we're looking at uh, redemptive love, God's redemptive love. This is God's love for us. And so we're going to answer some important questions today. But before we get there, I'm just going to read this here, First John chapter 4. If you want to read along with me, I encourage that. There's some Bibles right there in front of you in the pew. If you do not have a Bible, you may pick one of those up and, and turn to page 1023 in the back. But 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And we're really kind of nestled down here in 1 John uh, for this series. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of go outside of 1 John a little bit uh, and some cross-reference and then some other passages. But... Uh, Pretty much this is going to be our home for this series, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so when we just getting after this text right now, when we look at verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. At the back half of this series, we're going to be looking at our love towards others, how that love looks in our marriages um, how do we have this redemptive love? How is that played out in our marriages? And how can we reclaim the whole idea of love and marriage? How that is greatly needed because we're not getting any support from culture. 
but God's never called us to get support from culture, but from his word. And so we're going to look at marriages, and then we're going to look at our families. How is reclaiming love played out in our families, um, one to another? How Dads, how do you love your children? How do you love your sons? How do you love your daughters? Mom, how do you love the family? How does mom and dad, their leadership in the home, uh, support this type of, of love? And then we're going to look at our love towards others. And not just others as our friends, but as our enemies as well. Because see, if love is just an emotion, then it's going to stop at friendships. Okay, It's going to stop at the people that you have something most in common with. But if you understand that love is so much more than just an emotion, but it's a will, it's, it's God's will, then you can show this love even to enemies, even to persecutors, even to people who hate you, who don't like you, who don't want to have anything to do with you. And you say, wow, that hurts my feelings. I wish you felt different about me. Doesn't matter. Uh-uh. You can still love them. And so first to get this uh, understanding of love. We started with God last week, and now we look at how God shows this love towards us. So we answer the question once again, who or where is the origin of love? If love had a thread attached to it, and we just began to pull on that thread, and we kept pulling and pulling and pulling, and finally we get to the source, there we find God in eternity. Love has always been, because God has always been. We said love doesn't define God, but God defines love. That's what we looked at last week, and that love is one of the many attributes of God. So it's not that God is just love, and that we can't think of him as a God of wrath, and a God who is righteous, and a God who is peace. Uh, We can't just say, no, I like that. I like that you're teaching that God is love. I'm going to hang on to that one, and I'm going to hang that up on my wall, the wall of my heart, and I'm going to say, that's who God is. God is love. And everything that happens in my life, I'm just going to remind myself, God is love, and he will forgive me. He will just put everything underneath the rug. Everything's fine. No, not exactly. Yes, God is love. That is a great reminder every day. God is love. But also, God is righteous. And God does hate sin. And so it's not that he just turns and doesn't want to look and says, hey, you just act however you want to. I love you, and and I'm afraid to say anything to you and correct you. No, that's not God. I mean, God will correct you. He corrects you through his righteousness, through his justice. And so we said that his love is not tainted, and much of our love is tainted. So when we say that God is love, and if you don't know God, then you don't love, you go, wait, but I do love. And and you're right. I mean, we do. There are different types of love. Um, that we see in Scripture. I mean, just if we're looking in the New Testament and we see just the eros, we see that that's erotic love, that's the passionate love. We see the phileo, that's a, that's a brotherly love one to another. But the love that we're talking about is an agape love. It's, an, it's really, it was rare uh, to be talked about here in the first century. And so when they're hearing this type of word, agape, it's something different than what they're used to. So we just have love for for all things, right? I mean, we just use that love in in all types of areas in our lives. But when we begin to break it apart, we see that maybe the love that we think we have is not God's love. So we can't just say, hey, I love somebody, so I know God. No, that's that's not how it works. You must understand his love. And so we said, here's some three ways that it's not his love, that It's not this tainted love that we have in our lives. One, that I love you with the selfish intention. I love you if, if if you give me something in return. This weekend, if you were here at the marriage conference, we called this um, a contractual 
uh, love. It's a contract. It's saying, hey, if you meet all of these needs, then I will love you. If you can match up all of these, but when you begin to break uh, rule number five here, we're done. I'm, I'm out. No longer am I committed to you. No longer do I love you. That's not that's not the love that God has. God's love is more covenantal. It's a, it's a covenant saying, I love you regardless whether you uphold these things or not because I know you're going to break them. And so God doesn't love us with this selfish intention of I'll love you if, if you give me these things back, then I will love you because a, a major reason for that, God's not lacking in anything. So he doesn't need you to provide him something in order for him to love you. He loves you based on none of your merit. So one is, is love is not a selfish intention of wanting to get something in return. Yes, he is jealous for his glory, his name's sake, but that does not hinge on what you can give back to him. Number two, it's I love you with infatuation. You know, where it's the feelings, it's the uh, sweaty palms, it's the touching pinkies, it's the, you know, you're just excited about that person, and you will do anything to please that person. In fact, that person becomes the center of your life, and, and God doesn't have this infatuation towards you, because when he shows his love to you, it's not that you now become the center of his life and his existence. No, that's not how it works. God's not infatuated with you. No, it works the reverse, that when he loves you, he becomes the center of your life, and he receives all the glory. So there's not an infatuation there. And number three, we looked at obligation um, that we love because we're obligated to love, because you're family or because, you know, we've been married for 20 years. I mean, why break that streak now? Let's just keep going. Let's just finish this thing, I guess. God's not obligated to you. God, God hear this, God is not obligated to love you. He's not, maybe that just shocked you. Maybe you thought, no, 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 you need to back up. God is obligated to love me because he created me. No, God is not obligated to love you. And we have that reverse. A lot of times we think that people are obligated to love us and to see things our way, and then we use that in our relationship with God, that, God, you need me. No, God doesn't need you. God didn't create you because he needs you. He's not obligated to love you. He loves you because of his grace. And so it just shatters this tainted love that we have. So when you become his child, it's not that he's saying, well, I guess we'll make this thing work. I guess I'll love you because I saved you, and now you're mine, but you're a complete wreck. And, you know, I mean, I would just put up with all that's going on. No, I mean, he loves you. He loves you regardless. So, I mean, this, this completely destroys this whole thing of I've got to be good every day so that God will still be happy with me. No, his love doesn't work that way. He loves you on the front end with the greatest love. It doesn't build through time. And so this isn't a, a love out of obligation. It's a love due to his grace, and we see that God is love. So understanding that, just a brief from last week, we're all caught up now. I ask this question, how can we be sure that we have this love? You're saying, hey, this is great. I mean, so if it's not based on obligation or infatuation or selfish intention, how can I be sure that I have this love? How can you walk out of the room today and know that you have the love of God? Well, we continue with verse 7. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's it. Whoever loves has been born of God. So what do you mean born of God? You mean like born into a Christian family? You mean like born into church life? No, not that. I mean, that's the problem with a lot of thinking uh, among so-called Christians. 
I mean, they want to quickly revert back to how they were brought up, okay? Um, Their testimony deals with living in a home where their parents were Christians or being in a church where there were a bunch of Christians, and they're saying, I'm taken care of, man, because I've, I've been in that environment. I'm good. Like, I understand what salvation is. I understand what love is. No, that's not being born of God. That's not what we're talking about. And, of course, it's not talking about naturally being born of God, because no one is naturally born of God. Now, you may think that you're God's greatest gift to creation, um, and you may have fooled some other people into thinking that there's not a person in this room who has naturally been born of God. When you were born into this world, sweet little baby, being cuddled, being nurtured and cared for, yes, you're sweet, you're cuddly, you're cute, but you're not of God. You are of Adam. You are of the first man who where sin came from through disobedience. And that's a big problem. So that means that in order to understand love, you must be born of God. And in order to be born of God, you must first die to yourself. You must die to yourself. You cannot be born of God unless there's a point where you die to you, your selfish intentions, your selfish motives, you. And you say, well, where does this come from? What comes from the Bible? Romans 6, 7 through 8. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Let me read that again. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So when we die, we are set free from sin. We begin to live with Christ. So dying to self leads to new birth through Christ. It's born again to, to live as Christ. This, uh, I remember this when we were on our honeymoon. Um, we were sitting down in a restaurant, and this couple, uh, we were at a Japanese, we were in Hawaii and at a Japanese hibachi place. Go figure, okay? Um, and so while we're there, a couple sits down, and, and um, they're ordering something to drink. They look at us and say, hey, where are you from? And we say, hey, we're from Georgia. And they say, we're from California. And we're like, okay. And they say, we're born again. I was like, awesome. Me too. And I was like, you know, it's so refreshing to hear that. You're born again because where I'm from, everybody says, I'm a Christian. There's nothing wrong with that title, but to hear you say born again right off the bat, it lets me know that you had to die in order to be born again. So we began to talk about that. It's a great conversation. But have you been born again? In order to be born again, you have to die. So your first birth didn't take. You die to yourself spiritually. You're born again in Christ. You're born of God in love so that we can love. And so here's the deal. If you have not been born of God, you do not know love. And you do not know God. Now, how would that make it on major headlines? in our politically correct society, right? That would hurt a lot of feelings, wouldn't it? People would say, oh, you don't understand. Who, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are telling me I don't know what love is? Well, I'm nobody, man. I'll just go ahead and answer that. I am nobody but Christ living in me. I'm nothing. But his word tells us that, man, if, if you have not been born of God, you do not know love and you do not know God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, let's be very clear here. 
Anyone who does not love, don't take this to say, well, I love. I love, so I know God. That's not what this means. What he's talking about is this agape, this, this love from God, this redemptive love. If you don't have this love, you don't know God. So don't just take your idea of love, whatever that could be, because we really could just put out a bunch of thoughts out there and have a thousand different definitions of love based on what we want it to be. But God is love. So understanding that God is love, if you don't understand that God is love, you do not know God. You do not love. You do not love God. So we understand that he pours his redemptive love into our hearts. That's how we receive this love. Romans 5, 5. I mean, uh, Paul's just gotten finished saying, hey, we, we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And when he's finished saying that, then he says, uh, and hope does not put us to shame. Hope, this hope that we have does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this is a picture of the Trinity at work. God the Father has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. By giving us the Holy Spirit, God is pouring his redemptive love into us. You were not born with this type of love. This is not part of your DNA. God has to initiate this love. He has to pour this love into our hearts. And how is this made possible? Because of Jesus on the cross, there is peace between us and God. Without Jesus dying for us on the cross, there is no peace between us and God. And so this redemptive love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this pour, this word pour, it means to a free flow. It means a large quantity. Imagine a ditch or a big, just massive hole or sinkhole where it's just dry, there's nothing there, and all of a sudden, a flood comes upon the place. And it covers that hole, where it covers that ditch. And when the water subsides, there is still water remaining in that hole or in that ditch. This is the idea here. There's this huge hole. It was dry, decaying, no life in us. But God's redemptive love was poured into us, and now he overflows overflows. There was nothing there before, and now there's something there because God has poured it into us, and it remains, remains forever. We don't have to worry about it running dry, running out, or, or needing another pouring of this love. He, he gives us the Holy Spirit, and there we, once we're dry, now we hold the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does this love look like? Who has modeled this love for us? Well, Jesus has modeled this love for us. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Jesus is the model of this love. This is grace, God giving his son that we can see love lived out here on this earth. In 1 John three sixteen, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's how we know love, that he laid down his life for us. You want to understand love, don't run to all the books that are out there on love. Look here to the Bible, Christ lays down his life for us. What does that mean? If he lays down his life for us, what do we understand about love? Here's what he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He's talking about the church. 
You lay down your life for each other because he laid down his life for you. So to answer that question, what does love look like? We look to the life of Jesus. And I would encourage you that if you want to know more of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just take a read through one of those books this week. Get well acquainted with this love lived out before us. So here we've looked at the origin. We've, we've uh, said, you know, do we have this love? Are we, how do we know if we have this love? What does it look like? Which leads us to this question, why does God love us? is really where I want us to settle in today. Why does God love us? And you would say, well, that's, that's pretty easy. I mean, I'm a pretty lovable guy. I'm a pretty likable person. I mean, why would God not love me? I mean, my mom loves me. My dad loves me. Um, I have plenty of friends. I mean, of course God would love me, right? Because I'm lovable. I mean, duh, right? I mean, I remember growing up, we used to go to Ryan's Anybody used to go to Ryan's Buffet? I mean, that was the thing to do. <laughs> yes, amen. Like-minded here. You get that? You feel this whole like-mindedness we have going on? And um, I would go to Ryan's or, with my family after church. You got there at 12, 15, you were toast, okay? Um, I mean, you, it was a line out the door around the building. And then once you got inside, it's like a fair ride or, or you know, at Disney World. I mean, you got to go in, you got to go through another line, you know? You're thinking, man, I thought we were almost there. And then you get your plate and you go through and do your whole thing. Well, when we were leaving, there was always this little machine standing from the floor. And you put 25 cents in and you put your thumb on there. All right. And it measured your love. Okay. It was a love radar. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever done this? Is it just me? Because I used a lot of quarters on this thing. All right. And so I would go and I would, I would put my thumb on there and, and it would say hot or you know, on fire. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's up. Look, you know? And then every now and then it'd say cold, and you're like trying to cover up the machine, you know? Don't let it see. And, uh, you know, we used to always use that as a joke to just show, you know, our measure of love. But, you know, if we were to somehow be able to put our thumbprint down that can measure our love for God, I mean, it would be below cold. In fact, it would register dead dead. I mean, we'd like for it to say hot on fire. Yes, praise be to God that that's just who we are by birth, but no, by birth and through the bloodline of Adam, we put our thumbprint down and it reads dead. And so why does God love us? Well, we can be very sure of this. It's not because we loved him. It's not because we loved him. You think, but I grew up loving God. I mean, I've heard of God my whole life. I love those testimonies where people say, I I don't ever remember a day not hearing about Jesus. I mean, I'm praying that for my boys, that they'll say, I don't ever remember a day when my dad didn't talk about Jesus or my mom didn't talk about Jesus. That's great. But I still don't think they love God. They're learning love. But for them to truly understand the love of God is when God pours his love into their hearts. I mean, that's scripture. It's so here we are, and we see that there was nothing in us to prompt his love. Nothing, we're scanning and going, oh yeah, that right there, you see that heart? Man, that's a good looking heart. I, I want to love that person because they, they show love towards me. No, nobody. It's a bunch of dead people walking. Some of you know what I mean. You like that show on Sunday nights, right? That's, that's really an image of who we are before God. We're dead. But verse 10, 
in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's good news. That's good news because we were without hope and now we have hope here because he loves us. Mark 10, 45, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus. He's saying, I'm coming. Why am I here to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, as a payment? So this propitiation, I'm taking care of you on the cross. I'm taking care of your sins, actually paying for your sins. There is a work that is being done at a period in history. It happened on the cross As I said this before, he didn't just die for an idea of sins. No, he died for actual sins, real sins that were laid on him so that we could go free, that we could be set free because of a ransom that has been paid. Through God's love, his children have been set free from the tyranny of sin. We have been reconciled. We needed reconciliation and 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God. What, what, what all is from God? Well, if we look in verse 17 right before it, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the, the new has come. So you've died and you've become a new creation. He's saying, okay, so because of all of this and all this is from God because you become a new creation because it's all from God, let's, let's understand that. Then he says this, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This whole idea of reconciliation means that we have gone from enemies to friends. Not that we're friends and pals with God. Hey, man, let's, let's hang out. No, it's, it's that he is our Lord. He is our, our Savior. We were once enemies, once opposed to him, once hating him, once hostile in mind to God. This is scripture. So if you've heard of anything else growing up that you just naturally loved God, that you naturally loved God, you were taught false doctrine. No, you were hostile to God. You did not like God. You may have liked some idea of God. You may have liked some idea of love. But until we understand the gospel, we don't know God. We don't know love. First John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So once we have this love poured into our hearts, we love God, not the world. This doesn't mean that we don't love people. We don't love experiences in life. Now, I believe that when you have a relationship with God, it gives you a greater love to love others with. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. And that you can love this life more because it has a purpose. You understand the purpose of being here. But know that you don't fall in love with things of the flesh, the sin, the ways of the world. No longer are your affections on the world, no, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then it's clear. The love of the Father is not in him. So we're all born to love the world, which means the love of the Father is not in us. So let's be very clear on that. So why does God love us? Well, it wasn't because we loved him, but because he loves us. And we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
This was needed. It had to be done so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this isn't a might become like maybe we'll become the righteousness of God. No, you will become the righteousness of God because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. So why does God love us then? Well, it's according to his will, according to his purpose. That's why. That's why God loves us. We want to look within us and think it's something about us. It's not. It has nothing to do with what's inside of us. In fact, if it was in what's inside of us and he was basing it solely on that, he'd never love us. He'd never love us. But because of his grace, because of the work of Jesus on the cross and reconciliation, he pours love into our hearts. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of his will. So there it is, the purpose of his will. That's, that's why he loves us. And so when did God start loving us? If we figure out why he loves us, that it's not us who loved him first, but that he loves us, when did he start loving us? Was it at the cross? Is that when God started loving us? No, it was even before then. Was it when he created the world and he created Adam and he breathed life into Adam and he says, now I love you. Is that when God began to love us? No, it was even before then. You say, how do you know this? Because God's word tells us, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world. Wow. Before the foundation of the world, he has loved you. That we should be holy and blameless in him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Why did he predestine us as adoption? Why did he adopt us? Why does he do that? Because he loves us. This is the confidence we have, church, of being loved by him and being his It's because of the purposes of his will. There's no other way of explaining that, getting around that. You can't fight with that. I guess you could fight with it, but you're not going to win that. This is comfort for the believer. This is confidence for the believer. And who is he talking about? I mean, when it turns to New Testament, and Paul's writing in Ephesians, and he's writing in Thessalonians, and he's writing to to Timothy, he's writing to the church, The church is his audience. So when did he start loving us? He loved us before he created the world. He loved his adopted children before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption. Why did we need to be adopted? We needed to be rescued from our sin. He took those who were enemies, and he loves them. J.I. Packer says, God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he has given his son to be their savior and now brings them, listen to this, and brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relation. To know and enjoy him 
He adopts us and brings us in. So he pours this redemptive love into our hearts. He says, I love you. It's not based on anything you could ever do. It's my grace. I love you. You are mine. I bring you into myself so that you can enjoy me and worship me forever. And so, who receives this adoption? The church. Because if everyone received this adoption, obviously there would be no need for evangelism. There would be no need for spreading the gospel because everybody would be his children. So then I ask you this question. Is everyone a child of God? Is everyone a child of God? You take a minute. Well, we don't have a minute. Let's do a couple seconds. You you answer that. Is everyone a child of God? Well, my freshman year, man, I grew up in youth group. Okay, here, there's, that, there's that story. I grew up in the church, right? I did. I mean, because I did. And so I get first semester, I take a Christianity and Islam class, and I'm sitting on the front row because I'm studious, and uh, one day they bring in um, a Muslim imam and a uh, Baptist pastor. Christianity and Islam, so we're going to pit them together. They're going to talk. And so uh, the Muslim guy, he, he speaks for 45 minutes. The class is only 50 minutes long. Those are my favorite ones, by the way. I love the 50-minute classes. Those are great. Um, but 45 minutes, he speaks. He talks. And nothing of substance. I mean, it's like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. Okay? I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling you, it was all about works. All about works. There was no... Uh, no hope in his message. And then all of a sudden, and this was before 9-11, let you know. This is back 1999 when it was real. All right, so see class in 45 minutes. So the Baptist pastor has five minutes to talk. Five minutes to talk. And I'm like, man, that, that's not right. Why, why do you get 45? He gets five. Can we invite him back? But after I heard what he said, I'm like, no, don't invite him back. Here's what he said. Five minutes he had, and he says, you know what, we're, we're running short on time, and, you know, my, my brother over here, because we're, we're all children of God. We're, we're brothers, you know. We're, we have our differences, but we're brothers. And I'm sitting there going, man, I, you know, I'm just a freshman, but you're wrong. Like, that's not right at all. No, we're not. What he just said, it was nothing about Christ. What he would say is he doesn't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't matter if there's peaceful Muslims and hostile Muslims and, and terrorists who are Muslim. No, they miss the point. They miss Jesus. And without Jesus, there's no reconciliation. Without no reconciliation, you're, you're not a child of God. He doesn't pour his love into our hearts. I can't say it as well back then. But I'm thinking through this, and I'm going, man, no, he's wrong. I'm not his brother. I'm not, I want to be his brother. I want you to see Jesus. Man, I want you to love God. I want you to to follow Christ, yes, but we're not brothers. You're not a child of God. So if you want to live in that land of make-believe and just say, hey, man, we're all children of God. Everything's good. You've just given people false hope because when they stand before God one day and he says, you're not my child, what then? What then? We're not all children of God. That is why we need evangelism. That's why we must go and tell people of Jesus. That's why we can't just get caught up in our lives and say, I'm too busy 
No, man, we need to be telling them that not all are children of God. And they say, well, what makes you so special? God's love. God's love. Because, brother, I can tell you who I am without Christ, man. I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. He poured his love into my heart, and I've never been the same, and I'm, I'm a child of his, and, and that's why I'm here to tell you about his love. Does not make you better, does not make you haughty, does not, no, arrogant, no, none of that. But we must understand that everyone is not a child of God. Those that are of the world do not know God. They don't know God. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 3, 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There is evidence of those who love God. His love is displayed in their lives. But if you are not a child of God, then that means you are a child of the devil. And there is one who does not love you. There's one who will abuse you every day. There's one who laughs in your face. There's one who mocks you. There's one who wants you just to be tortured forever, to never enjoy the love of God. You're a child of the devil. If you're not a child of God, you are a child of the devil. You don't have an option there. <laughs> Somebody says, I don't want to be a child of the devil. That's not, that's not your option. You say, well, I don't want to be a child of God. I don't want to be a child of the devil. Well, no other father's out there. So the question is, are you a child of God or are you a child of the devil today? Has God's love been poured into your heart? And you say, I want, I want God's love. Then, then here's what's happening. There's a stirring in your heart. You're saying, I want to follow God. I want, to, I want to love him. Repent of your sin that separates you from God and trust in what Christ did, his reconciliation on the cross. And be loved by God. That's what we do. We, we hear this good news and we repent. How do we have life? Repentance. Dying to self. Rising up as a new creation. So, why does God love us? It has nothing to do with our love for him. In fact, he says in 1 John four nineteen that he loved us first. And so then we answer the question, when did he love us first? And that just connects with the Bible before the foundations of the world. So if you hear this message today and you know that you are lost in your sins and just a moment we're getting ready to come to have communion together, this table is for the children of God, those who have been reconciled, those who have looked to Jesus, those who have love poured into their hearts. So that we understand the true agape love. If, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what's first for you is that you repent to follow Christ. That can happen where you are, just calling out to him right now. I'm not gonna give you a prayer to rehearse and go over so that you can put confidence in that. No, you 
put confidence in dying to yourself, trusting in God's word, and, and looking to his salvation, Jesus Christ. I'm gonna be standing right in the back. We're gonna have some pastors standing up here in just a moment. When people come for communion, since this is only for the children of God, if, if you are not confident that you're a child of God, you come talk to us. Because it's a very serious thing when we come to the table as well that we just don't treat this as a game or whatever it is. No, when you come, children of God, to the table, may you come with grateful hearts, hearts filled with love, because you've seen that this love's been poured out. And we see that here in this cup, that when we dip the bread, his body, into that cup, we remember the reconciliation, the payment made, the love poured out on the cross so that love could be poured into our hearts. So let's go into a time of prayer at this time as we prepare for communion. Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you for sharing this love with us and for there's more for us to glean and to go through in the coming weeks. As we come to the table now, Father, I ask your blessings on this bread, on this cup. Bread representing the body of Jesus Christ who was broken for us. This cup representing the blood of Jesus poured out. We do this in remembrance of you. We thank you for this covenant that we have entered into. That is also represented here at this table. Thank you that it's not a contract that, Lord, as soon as we sin against you or do something against you, Lord, that you say, I'm out, I'm done. Thank you that you hold to your promises, your word. So, Lord, bless this table, bless our coming to receive. I pray for those here who are wrestling with, to come receive communion. Father, that you would work in their hearts. For those who do not know you today, I pray that they would know you as they leave this place, Lord, as they look to you, they call upon you as they repent. God, may this bring humility into our lives, to our hearts. May we be filled with confidence as we leave this place, knowing of your great love given to us based on your grace and your mercy. Father, may this lead us to go and share the good news with the world who does not know you they may know you.